0: the Lord. Good evening. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and you can turn them to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 20. And while you are turning there in your Bibles or your phones, um, I want to take the opportunity to give you one more thing to think about in the coming days. Our, uh, our Give to Go missions offering is coming up the first Sunday in October. Uh, that, is a, that is a huge day in the life of our church as it was last year. Um, that one offering contributes to the full budget of our, our missions ministry uh, for the next calendar year. And um, it's, it's one of those announcements I don't shy away from making because I totally, fully believe uh, in the missions efforts here of Lindsay Lane Baptist Church. Uh, we have been able to send people, continue to support uh, existing missionary partnerships. This year because of the generosity of the church we were able to do over and above uh, local missions projects. There were things just in the last two weeks that because you gave a, a local school that used to feed uh, school children every weekend because one of their partners backed out they needed help and uh, through a, a relationship to us we were able because of the abundance of our give to go missions offering we were able to provide food for six weeks uh, six weeks, right John? I think that's right. Our missions pastor, John, uh, for, for six weeks uh, to send kids that would go home to empty cabinets, to empty pantries. We were able to provide uh, food for them for six weeks. And so um, it's, it's super important and uh, and not just to meet physical needs of people, but to uh, to minister to people in the name of Jesus and to share the gospel. Those give us Gospel opportunities uh, to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ so that's coming up in uh, coming up October It's the first Sunday in October and uh, just want to continue to tell you a little bit about that I'll move this way the speaker is directly behind me all right Uh, Leviticus Leviticus. we continue our signature series, which is the names of God and uh, We are focusing the next three Wednesday nights and basically Wednesday nights throughout the fall with some differences Uh, we'll, We'll take a few times to do a few things different but uh, throughout the fall, we're going to be looking at the names of God. And if you've know if you been here the past few times that we've done this, the names of God give us the full identity of God. And to, to understand the names of God is to understand His character. If we understand the character of God, it should improve our relationship with God. Uh, we should know who we are talking to. We should know who we are praying to. And the name that we began with was Jehovah. Jehovah means that He is. And you heard that right. That's what Jehovah means. It means He is. There is no other. He exists within Himself, and He is self-sufficient. In our relationship with God, we understand because He is, He is Jehovah, that He is so almighty that He exists within Himself. He is matchless. He needs nothing from us, and yet He is still has still purpose to create us and to redeem us and for us to live for His glory. Jehovah is also the covenant name of God. When you see the capital LORD in Scripture, that is the covenant name of God with Israel. It is a personal name of God from himself to his people, which means in personal means that he is not uncaring. It means he is not uninterested. As we talked about on Sunday morning, he is, he is imminent. He is interested in every part of our personal lives. He is interested in every person that has ever been, every person that is ever, ever will be. He doesn't play games with our lives. This is our master creator that is a loving and involved father. That's all wrapped up in the name Jehovah. What we've studied since then and what we'll study tonight are compound names. Compound names, and by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, joining us on Wednesday night and you've been here on Sunday morning, you know how different this is. <laughs> it is, it is it's teaching more on Wednesday nights, it's preaching more on Sunday mornings. But uh, Jehovah Jireh being a compound name, this is an addition given to the name of God that gives us an additional look into the depth of his character. This name is presented in Genesis 22. If you remember, we studied Abraham and Isaac, and Abraham went to the point of obedience that he would lay his own son down, the son that he had waited on, the son that was promised by God. And he believed God to the point that God would raise him up from the dead, even if he sacrificed him. And and so he he went so far in his faith to, to be obedient to God. God... Honored that obedience, and right at the moment uh, the, of, of right at the moment of sacrifice, God provided a ram that that He was able to sacrifice. And the Scripture says in Genesis chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen, Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide, or Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, the Scripture says people still use the name as a proverb on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. So, knowing God in this way. When you think of what Jehovah Jireh means, knowing God in this way, we can call on the Lord as needy, dependent children. When we pray, we can pray like we're praying, like we're talking to our father, like we are a child that is in need. We we know because it's in his name that it is his desire to provide for those who fear him and for those who trust in him. Last week, our executive pastor, Bradley Griggs, he covered Jehovah Rohi. Well, two weeks ago, he covered Jehovah Rohi. Psalm 23, the Bible says, The Lord, capital L O R D, Jehovah is my shepherd, Rohi. Jehovah Rohi. Again, a compound name. If you think about that, David, a shepherd himself. And when I say a shepherd, yes, I mean a leader of a nation of people, but I also mean a literal shepherd. Where where he, the first time that you see him in scripture, he is out with the sheep and the goats. So he is figuratively a shepherd over God's people. He is literally a shepherd over sheep. And he wrote under the inspiration of God's Spirit in Psalm 23. He made the connection, and the Spirit of God leads him to make the connection that God provides guardrails for us. He cares for us. He is our shepherd. He attends to our life, and he cares for his sheep. When in our life, when we are tempted to trust in anything else, when we are tempted to trust in money, when we are tempted to trust in relationships for our provision, we are reminded as children of God that Jehovah-Rohi takes responsibility for our care. God is responsible for us. And the scripture says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. That should minister to somebody tonight, just to be reminded of the truth of the scripture that when you pray, you shouldn't second guess whether or not he hears, you shouldn't second guess whether or not he cares. That's why he tells us to cast our cares. Parents, what do you tell your children? We want you to talk to us. We want you to tell us what's wrong so that we can help. Now, our study tonight takes us to Leviticus, and this is where we discover our next next name in Leviticus chapter 20. Now, I believe the Bible teaches that all scripture is profitable. Amen? Even the lineage verses, even the, mo- the verses that you would say maybe are the most obscure, the Bible says that all scripture is profitable, it's useful, it equips us, and, and I believe that with all my heart. That being said, Leviticus is not the place that I would send a new Christian. If, if, and I've had that question asked over and over again, where should I start reading? It's, Leviticus has never come out of my mouth, not one time. I'll give you the answer to that afterwards if you'd like for me to answer that. But if you are just beginning to read the Bible, the value of Leviticus is not just in reading it, it's in studying it. You need the context, uh, you need Hebrews, you need the context of the entire Bible to to be able to put it all together with the proper view of the entirety of Scripture so that you may conclude that Leviticus is, is not just an outdated book of laws. Now, don't misunderstand me. I fully believe that if you sit down, your heart open to God, that God's Spirit will do his job and guide you into all truth if you read Leviticus, hands down. So don't run out of here quoting me saying, you shouldn't read that, that's what he said. That's not what I said. I said that's not where you should begin. In fact, if you are beginning there, I would encourage you to begin there with a commentary or study it with somebody so that they can connect the dots so that you don't just see it as a a book of laws. Properly interpreted, in Leviticus, you understand that it was God's purpose throughout that book to set his people apart from the rest of the world. The reason that he is giving his people all of these statutes is so that they will look different from the rest of the cultures around them. You have to remember Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. What's happening before Leviticus is God's exodus plan for his people out from under the culture of Egypt. And he is taking them to a new land. But that new land would also be surrounded by additional cultures of people that do not believe in the same God. So when God gives these laws, he is doing so because he is setting apart his people from all the other people of the world so that they may be that blessing of the way, the truth, and the life before everybody looking on. It was God's intention that they would not leave one position of slavery and go to another of another kind. As one pastor said, God has not freed from Egypt for his people to be slaves again in Canaan. When God delivers from slavery, now hear this as a Christian. When God delivers from slavery, he intends for us to stay free. So the Lord has freed you from the bondage of 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 another culture. God has freed you from the, the bondage of sin. It is not his intention to set you up so that you fall back into the same thing. So the Spirit of God is going to give you statutes along the way through the teaching of his word that provides the riverbanks for your life. So the Lord is teaching his people how to approach him. God is teaching his people how to walk with him. This is through sacrifice. This is through sanctification. The first 10 chapters of Leviticus are about sacrifice. It's about how to be right with God. The system of sacrifice is how God makes us right with himself. In the Old Testament, you see that the blood of animals was there for the atonement of the believer. But the culmination of all of that was leading to the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, that would make the final payment for all of our sin. uh, Sacrifice is the first 10 chapters of Leviticus. The rest of Leviticus is about sanctification, It is about how to make us walk with God. How God takes us along for the ride until our death, until our our eternal life is fully realized in eternity. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. And the next name of God is another compound name. It is Jehovah M. Kadesh. Now, I just learned before I walked in here that we have someone, and I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come up here. I just want to mention we have someone that's, that's here for the first time on a Wednesday night that used to be fluent in Arabic. So this name is not an Arabic name, but anytime I pronounce names that are Hebrew or anything, I always feel like there's at least one or a few people that are like, that's not it. You're pronouncing it wrong. I think it's Jehovah. I'm pretty, Jehovah is correct. M. Kadesh is the next part of that. All right. The Scripture says in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, So set yourselves apart to be holy. Think about what God is doing with His people. For I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice. For I am the Lord who makes you holy. There's the compound name. I am Jehovah and Kadesh, the Lord who makes you holy. These verses are spoken out of God's justice. And by justice, this is what we mean. Justice is, it is right that there is consequence for wrong. That is out of God's value, that it is right that there is justice or consequence for wrong. The wrong that God is dealing with here in Leviticus chapter 20 is relative to the spiritual practices of his people and the spiritual practices of foreign influence living within Israel. And these preceding verses are warnings of God's judgment. They are warnings of God's judgment for moral failure, God's judgment for spiritual failure. If you look in Leviticus chapter 20 and you look at verse 2 and the last half of that verse, it says this, if any of them offer their children as a sacrifice to Molech, They must be put to death. The people of the community must stone them to death. Now, when you read that for the first time without knowing anything else, we can at least pick up that this is serious. And God is very serious. Child sacrifice is evil. We understand as we read this that God is not for that. And even when you read past that, you understand that if the community that has been charged with this instruction, if they don't inflict this justice, God will turn against the whole community. That's what he says. If you don't put them to death, then I will inflict judgment for all of you. Right, He is super serious. And just so you get the full sense of depravity when we are reading uh, chapter 20, verse 2, those who worshiped Melech did so through presenting their child to the false god, either sacrificially or sexually. That is the context. So if you're thinking with me what I'm thinking, that is messed up. And it's obviously... This goes against godly purpose for parenting, but it goes as far as abuse and murder. So God is not going to mess around with this. He's going to put a stop to it. And he has his people who represent his holiness and for his glory to cut that off. God will not have it be a part of his people, not even associated with them. Likewise, he will also not stand for his people seeking alternatives to the Lord. He he will not have his people... Praying to God one moment and then seeking a medium in the next. Reading tarot cards in one moment and then reading a Bible in the next. That is, that is not the Lord our God. Here, O Israel, the Lord is one. Amen? In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 6, God says to his people, I will also turn against those who commit spiritual prostitution by putting their trust in mediums or in those who consult spirits of the dead. I will cut them off from the community. See, this is to seek influence in the future. It is to know the future instead of trusting God. And and that's, a lot of times, we're tempted to do that. God, we want us to go on, you just go and tell us your plans, that way we'll know how to react. Well, it takes faith to please God, amen? God likes faith. But if you think about what we just read through, child sacrifice, child abuse, not just because of depravity, but so that people could be closer to their God. So that people could experience the power of God, they will sacrifice, they'll lay the life of their child down in one way or another, so that they may feel closer to the false God that they worship, or to seek out through mediums or to consult spirits of the dead and all of these things. This is not something that we see every day. This is this is spiritual warfare. Key word, spiritual, this is spiritual warfare. Have you ever thought, while we're at this point, and before we get to the name of God again, have you ever thought about why we don't see that? Have you ever thought about why in the Scripture when we're seeing children, again, not not just abused and and not just killed, because we can take the abortion route to this as well, but this is in the name of their God. This is a spiritual reason to do those things, that kind of spiritual warfare that they are seeking mediums so that they will know what the future is, that, that they will know the mind of God. So the, there's spiritual reasons for committing this spiritual prostitution, reasons for consulting the spirits of the dead, because they want to be like God, they want to know God. This is a a spiritual issue. Have you thought about why why do we not see these things on the forefront of our culture? Why is this the only time, Wednesday night at 645, where these words are thrown across our screens? Well, I'm just going to give you a suggestion. I suggest that in our culture, many people are not considering God at all. See, when we see the the different religions across the world, as soon as we see them, we think that every single one of them are devout. And the same goes for Christianity. People think that every Christian is a devout Christian, somebody who is devoted to the Lord their God. And not every religious person across the world is devout. And in our culture, again, even the stats say that many people are not considering God like they used to, or they are ignoring God until it is a desperate time of need. And so, aside from our nation's laws that obviously ban grave evils like child sacrifice in the name of a God, I believe that the reason we don't see these kinds of things in real time is because spiritual life doesn't make our rankings. If spiritual life doesn't make our rankings, then why would the devil inflict more spiritual warfare? If it's not even on our radar, if we wake up one morning and we go the whole day without even giving thought to the Lord our God, then what in the world do we need spiritual things like this in front of us for? Satan has us right where he wants us. Prayer, for example. Prayer in our culture is observed a lot of times it's not relied upon, it's observed. And and y'all, this now, this is where I get ticked off, I'm just be honest. We used to go from praying in different places, and now what we have are moments of silence. Now, what in the world is a moment of silence gonna do for anybody? You think I call people in the hospital and say, listen, I'm, if you don't mind before I leave, we're gonna have a moment of silence. Now, who in the world does that help? We're just gonna quietly reflect on what. So we've moved in this place from our culture away from prayer. Now, prayer is observed, but again, in our culture, it's not relied upon, and it's increasingly, by even people who respect Christianity, it is increasingly becoming dismissed, or it's becoming generalized to whatever God you want to pray for or pray to. Worship can often be the same. A a cultural observation instead of a regular expression of adoration to our God. That's what real worship is, an expression of adoration to the master of our lives. But our culture, not necessarily building it into that top five for us, worship becomes something that we stop by a few hours every week. Copies of God's Word abound. But reading the Word of the Lord often escapes us. And studying it only happens when we have a vacation blocked out time. See, this is, this is where culture puts us. It's time that we don't have. The things of God are smothered in our culture. Smothered by what? They're smothered by busyness. The things of God are smothered by our affluence. They are smothered by our desire for entertainment. So listen to this. Rather than child sacrifice unto an unknown false god, we don't, we don't see children being sacrificed in the name of God. We see children raised without time for God. That's where we are. We see children watching their mama and daddy going weeks upon weeks upon weeks and going, oh yeah, we need to get back in church. Now listen, I say that saying this, if you are coming back to church, you come on. But let this be a lesson to all of us that our culture is not going to lead you to the Lord. Our culture is, is pulling away at you to distract you and distraction can be deception, and that is spiritual warfare in itself. But listen, you will not see... I don't believe it as long as we are here in the United States of America, we won't see child sacrifices unto God. We won't see these things like consulting these, these spirits from the dead as a forefront spiritual problem in our culture because it's not on our top five anyway. So in our culture with many being distracted by worldly life to the point that there is no consideration of spiritual life. It won't happen until we all face suffering square in the face. And regardless of whether or not we observe spiritual life, this is the point to make as well. If you're thinking there's always spiritual warfare, that's the next point. Spiritual warfare abounds whether or not we think we see it. Spiritual warfare is is alive and well. Sin does not quit, y'all. Temptation does not stop, and the distractions that we encounter are often deceptions. But just as sin doesn't quit, neither does the Spirit of God. God's Spirit does not stop working on us. God's Spirit does not stop drawing the lost to be saved. God's Spirit does not stop drawing the saved to be closer in their walk with the Lord. So it is a spiritual issue every time we wake up. It is a spiritual battle every time we wake up, whether or not you are faced when you are looking on your screens at child sacrifice in the name of a God, or if it is entertainment driven and the whole day we are looking at our phones going like this to the next reel, to to the next Fox News, CNN, to the next all of that. So the background of spiritual warfare really sets the stage for the next name and character of God, which is the Lord who makes you holy, the Lord who sets us apart from all the other cultures so that we stand and shine for the glory of God. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8, So set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. Here in the Scripture is the distinct teaching from the Word of God where God is identified as the one who sanctified Israel. He did it, is what the Bible is saying. That God does the sanctification work. And ultimately, He is the one who sanctifies anyone who is His. He is not just the one who demands holiness, but God is the one who sees us to it and through it. Jehovah and Kadesh, the the Lord who sanctifies or the Lord who makes you holy, This name for the Lord is found in Leviticus 20. The only other place in Scripture that is found is Exodus chapter 31, verse 13. I'm going to read that to you. The Scripture says, Tell the people of Israel, Be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is a given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So the only other place in Scripture that mentions the Lord who sanctifies, or the Lord who makes you holy, does so in the idea of keeping the Sabbath day holy. Now, the Sabbath day was what? A Sabbath day is a day that is set apart from all the other days. That day is to look different than all the other ones. The work stops, the reverence begins. A day of worship, a day of rest, it is purposefully not to look like the other ones. It is an object lesson given by God to his people, to remind them that they are to be like this day as they are in the world. They are to be a day that looks different, a day that is to be revered, a day that is to point upwards. That is what their life should resemble as the people of God. God's desire for Old Testament Israel is his same desire for the church today. It's the same one. God desired for his people. And again, if you look at Leviticus, you would say, this is not God's word to us. That's fine. It's God's word still for us. And so God's word for us is the same desire that he had for Old Testament Israel is the same desire he has for his church. It is a desire for his people to be set apart, to be holy in this world. Then in the Old Testament, God's people were in fellowship with God through the sacrificial system of animals that God set up. And they were directed to walk with God by the law of God. Now in the church is fellowship with God through faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Jesus sacrificed his life for ours, and we are now directed not by the law of God. Jesus fulfilled all that. We are directed now by the Spirit of God in conjunction with the Word of God who gives testimony to what Jesus said. So this is what's happening now that God is still drawing all of us who believe to his holy standard to be set apart by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, following the Son of God. And we who now believe in God through faith in Jesus are still set apart for this purpose, and we know this. Why? Because it's in his name. Because it's in his very name. We are still praying to the Lord who sanctifies us. Still learning about it in the Scripture. The New Testament Scripture talks about sanctification. It's in the identity of God that those who are his will look different than they used to, and those who are his will look different than the rest of everybody else who does not believe in him. So how does this work in real life? Do y'all ever get to that question like I get to? I want you to leave here on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings going, okay, now I know how it works. How does this work in, in real life? How does sanctification actually work when we leave here understanding what it is? How does setting ourselves apart, keeping and practicing God's decrees, Him making us holy, how does it work? In the Scripture, I believe you will see over and over again two things. You will see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. You will see God is in control. God is making things. He is working things. And you will see where God's Word calls to those who believe to respond with responsibility. In other words, life change, and this may be on the screen, life change involves what God does and what we do within what God says. Let me say that one more time. Life change, sanctification in that process occurs within what God does and what we do within what God says. What God does, because the Bible says that he is the Lord who sanctifies, right? God is the one who does the process and the work of sanctification. And what God does when the Bible says, for I am the Lord who makes you holy, sanctification, and this is a good place to take down a definition. If I were teaching school and gave you a vocabulary quiz, this would be the word that I would give you and be one question and one question only. Sanctification, all right? Sanctification is the process by which God, through the direction of his word, together with the pull and the power of his Spirit, sets one apart from sin towards his person and his purposes. And I'm going to read that one more time. Sanctification. Some of you are thinking, if you want us to take it down, you should have put us on the screen. That's absolutely true. I'll send you my note. Sanctification is the process by which God, through the direction of his Word, together with the pull and the power of his Holy Spirit, sets one apart from sin towards his person and his purposes. It is his leadership, it is God's lordship, that works towards the outcomes of ultimately us becoming more like Jesus. The endorsement of God, the revelation of God. To be more like Christ is to be more like God. And when we are more like God, we are holy. We are becoming holy as he is holy. It is God who accomplishes sanctification. How does he accomplish sanctification? Because he is the one who embodies the standard. God is the one who sets the standard. God is the one through his spirit that draws us to the standard. It's the one that slaps our hand when we break the standard. God is the one that disciplines us. God is the one that forgives us, and he made provisions to do that through the death and the life and the death and the resurrection of his son. That's how God does the work of salvation. That's how God does the work of sanctification where he is drawing us to himself ever forward, even closer, every single day. And this leadership and lordship work of God moves, and and again, I say this with such desire that we all get it, especially me. The leadership and the lordship work of God moves in every area of our life. Every one of them. The one that your spouse says is a blind spot for you the one that you don't want to acknowledge, but it's there. The one that you dismiss, it's the knot on the board that we looked at Sunday. It's there, but there's so much wood grain, you're fine. But God wants to make it all wood grain. And so, if you weren't here Sunday, you have to go back and look. That is not making any sense to you at this point. But it's every area of our life. It's the gardener that is continuing to pull weeds. From what? And this is what I learned today, and I'm so excited to share with you what I learned and the way that it's put. God is moving every area of our life towards his holiness. And by every area, we mean the profane, the things we know that are offensive to God, and even the common, the things that are amoral, the things that are it is or it isn't. You see, some of us, I could tell, and I believe this truly, cell phones are not profane, cell phones are common, the difference between profane or and sacred is the difference between the search history on your phone. Now I'm preaching. That, that's what makes it either sacred or profane. It's a common instrument. If they look through your phone, you may look at it and say, this is a profane instrument that's used by the devil. They may look at another one and see how you've ministered to people, how you are reading the scriptures on your phone, how you are sending encouraging word, how you are studying the Bible. They say, this is a sacred instrument. It's, it's a common thing. So God is using every area of our life or working in every area of our life to move us from the profane and even the common to where everything's sacred. All of it is. When we watch TV, the relationships that we have, the things that we look at, taken in a ball game, God wants to move us at that ball game from profane and even common to sacred. Amen? And that's it. That's where God's got onto me throughout the years. You're going to be that same guy and expect to lead a church when you can't keep yourself together at a ball game, young man? Nobody said amen to that. Nobody struggles with that but me. Transparency, transparency. First Thessalonians, but I'm telling you, like, I studied that today, and the way that the, the author of the resource that I have put that helped me today, honestly. First Thessalonians 5.23. And this is good. First Thessalonians five twenty-three. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May the God of peace, again, think about what God does in his sovereignty. May the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our lord jesus christ comes again god will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful he will make it happen he is always working on it so i really do think that when we look at the scoreboard of our life when it comes to spiritual wins and losses the older we get, if we are walking in Christ by the Spirit of God and yielding to what God is doing, we're going to see more wins than losses. We're going to see we're going to see us getting better. We tell married couples. I know there's a parenting class tonight, and I'm, I hope that goes really well, and I know that it will. But but we will tell uh, uh, married or perspective married couples we have one that we're doing a wedding this weekend or I, I am uh but but when we talk to married couples that are about to get married we make this statement you're fighting because we'll ask them the question we'll say have you ever had a fight you know which everybody looks at each other like yeah we have not had one yet it was like no <laughs> you know? and they need to have had one honestly said have you had a fight how did you handle it and i asked this question say have you had a big fight and then, man, I could tell you some stories. about <laughs> Dusty, I think about some of the things we've talked about before and people that we've talked to. Some of y'all are it, and I'm just kidding. But, uh, man, I could tell you a story about what one guy said one time, and I was like, oh, my gosh, are there people that can hear us right now? We need to close the doors, because this is awkward. Um, but after we asked them, have they had a big fight, we make the point, your fighting should get better. Your disagreements as a married couple Because you both are following the same Lord God should get better as you get older. Your disagreements even. That is, look at what the scripture says. Make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. So while you may just be like, I don't think you're going to get to that on us. We're just quitting. God who calls you is faithful to make it happen. Notice the progression of what the Bible says there in 1 Thessalonians. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. Notice the progression from the inside to the outside, from the immaterial to the material, from the root to the shoot. This is what God is going to do in the life of every believer. When we believe and think about that scripture that we all quote if we are sharing the gospel, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our what? Hearts that God raised him from the dead. If we believe in our hearts, the truth of the person and the God who is Jesus. If we believe in our hearts, if we believe down deep inside us, when we believe, genuinely believe, God begins to change us. He, and how do we know this? Read throughout the scripture. God looks upon the heart. God searches the heart. New Testament teaches when the Holy Spirit comes, God works on the heart. God works from the inside to the outside. Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, was for the Lord to empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. It goes on to say, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. God is is changing the culture through changing the church. When we all reach this maturity like the Scripture talks about, when we are getting it straight away as God's Word teaches, we will see that the community we live in will be lit up with the glory of God. You see, a move from unrighteous to righteous, a move if you're thinking, I want to change my life, If you really want to change your life, you don't change your life. God does. And a move from unrighteous to righteous is not something that you have to figure out. And this spoke to me today, too, as I studied. A move from righteous to righteous is not something that you accomplish by somebody giving you a list of do's and don'ts. When we give somebody who is struggling a list of do's and don'ts, what happens is we are giving a legal prescription to a spiritual condition. And spiritual conditions that come from where? Come from within. Worldly living is a result of godless belief. The, the scripture says Jesus said that the world's sin is that it does not buy what I'm saying. It does not believe in the direction that I am leading. It's the belief that there is no God or the belief that my way is better than his. And see, that, that is the real problem of, of, of people. It was our problem before we met Jesus. The way that we was going was good according to us, or it was good according to another, but not to God. It was all a godless belief where we bet on ourselves. And this is why the gospel has the power to not just save, but the gospel has the power to change lives. Because when God saves you, he starts to work on your heart. And when he starts to work on your heart, as we yield to the draw of the Holy Spirit, as we depend upon God, you will see godly change in your life. God will do it. The next part is what we do within what God says. It's what God does and then what we do within what God says. It is not separate from our responsibility for the Scripture plainly says, so set yourselves apart to be holy. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice. That is not apart from your responsibility. To keep the practices, to to, to set yourselves apart to be holy. See, as God works to transform the parts of us that are conscious to God, the soul and the spirit, the immaterial parts that are conscious to God, conscious to ourselves, then we have the responsibility to be submissive to God to what part is left? With our bodies. Soul, spirit, and body. And what is body? It's the part of us that is engaged with the outside world. What is that part of us? Well, listen to what the scripture says keep your feet from following evil. The Bible says to flee from sexual immorality. It goes on to say, think your mind, your head, on what is honorable, just, pure, lovely, admirable. The Bible talks about our mouth, obscene stories and foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you, it says in Ephesians chapter 5. In Psalms chapter 101, I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. See, God is working on the inside, the soul and the spirit, and then getting to the parts of us that are engaged with the world, and those are also instructed to be sanctified. There's a list of sin in Galatians chapter 5. Y'all ever come across the part of Scripture where it's just a list of sins, right? It's when God gives it a name. And why is there a list of sin in the Bible? Why is there a list of sin in Galatians chapter 5 that the Bible calls a work of flesh? All of those things being works of flesh. There's a list of sins because... The Bible makes it practical. It's the practical outworking of sanctification. What God is stirring up in your heart towards holiness looks like you guarding your eyes. It looks like you keep your feet from following evil. It looks like you keep your mouth shut from complaining and bickering and bitter all the time. Like That that is the practical outworking. And God's Word gives us, a lot of times these are not exhaustive lists. They're just lists. There's things that cut us up every day. So think on this as I learned this fresh and anew today, as I I reminded you once again, I'll remind you before we go. In this world, there is the profane, the things that we know it when we see it. The profane are those things that are hostile to God. But not everything in this world is hostile to God. Not everything. The world is cursed, but even so, when you study the whole of Scripture, there's common grace of God. God gives rain to the just and the unjust. Rain is not profane. It is common. And some of the things that we are involved in every single day are common. Again, I read off the list. Cell phones, ball games, relationships, movies, work, food, these are all common. And you can add to that list. But as we are ultimately being conformed to be like Christ, the profane and even the common are being sanctified by God in his people towards the sacred. The sacred is what? If the profane is hostile to God... The sacred is special to God. Sacred is those those things that God values and appreciates and he upholds in his character. So that what? So that every part of our lives, holy in every way, the Bible says, looks more like holiness. The Lord who sanctifies. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that this will change the way that I see my blind spots. It'll change the way that I see the knots and the blemishes in my life. And knowing that God is sanctifying us even right now through a guy that's preaching his word, knowing that we will know that each day it's not just about us being saved and forgiven. It's about also us being conformed to the image of Christ so that together we will work for the glory of God and the good of man. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. 728. Man, we are so professional on Wednesday nights. Look at that. Let me pray for us and uh, we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for your word, it never misses. Lord, I pray that we would be discipled by this teaching. God, that we would understand that you are working on us. Lord, that we would understand that your spirit is drawing us to your standard because not only are we forgiven, but we represent you in this world that you've created. So, Lord, I pray that we will trust in what you are doing, that you are making us new, that you are drawing us to a place of being better than we were the day before each and every day to make us holy in every way in every part of our life. And Lord, I pray that within the responsibility you give us with the outworkings of our bodies, our minds, our feet, our hands, Lord, that we would simply yield to you and all of the things that your spirit is showing us that we need to be sharper and stronger with. We thank you, Lord, for the provision of forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy. God, we thank you for the new mercies every morning that allow us to think to ourselves, we need to get back in front of the word of God. We need to get our family going in the right direction. We need to come together. We need to fight better than we used to fight. Lord, I thank you, God, that you never, ever leave us, and you are constantly working on us for your glory. Lord, would you please bless this church as we move forward in the reading, the preaching, the teaching, the learning of your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Y'all have a great evening. Thank you for being here tonight.